Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Zhao, and today I sit down with Griffith Norville, Managing Director at Hamilton Lane. Hamilton Lane is an alternative investment management firm that provides private market solutions to investors around the world with over 500 billion total assets under management and supervision. Griff is the head of Cobalt LP, a software solution that helps LPs with portfolio construction, benchmarking, and investment selection focused on the private markets. Cobalt also offers front office analytics and back office managed services solutions, all backed by Hamilton Lane's rich historical data and insights. In addition to this role, Griff helps run strategic technology investments for the firm. In today's episode, Griff and I talk about the state of private markets investing, digging into how the explosive growth of private markets has created such a need for better data, insights, and services. We also cover how Cobalt has been built to solve the issues private investors and LPs are facing, and close with his role in strategic tech investing, including how he sourced a deal from a fishbowl. Let's get started. Hi, Griff, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. We're excited to have you as a guest today. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for having me. So to begin, could you just take us through your background and up until you joined Hamilton Lane? Yeah, happy to do that. So I, I grew up in Virginia and I went to the University of Virginia where I studied engineering. And I think engineering and studying that as an undergrad played a big part in my career progression thereafter. My father was an engineer and went through the MBA route as well. And that really influenced me to go along the same path throughout my career. So I, I obtained a technical background, a you know, really solid foundation in problem solving. But I always thought you know, eventually I was going to be on the business side, despite my engineering degree. And coming out of, out of undergrad, that's what I did. I went into a, a management consulting role. Even though you know, I had some more technical job offers, I really kind of forced my way into the business side. And that started a journey of mine of always trying to force my way into the business side, although people kept telling me to utilize my technical skills. And eventually, I think the story worked out and they worked out together. But joined a very small management consulting firm coming out of undergrad. It's about 20 people. It was a team that had spun out of Deloitte. And you know that was quite an adventure. It was three years of long work hours, 80% travel, basically living out of hotel rooms in random cities around the United States. Worked for a very small team. So my, my, I jumped right into the fire, so to speak. I got a lot of really great experience learning on the job, but the career wasn't for me. I mean, management consulting, some people love it. The lifestyle, the living out of hotels, that wasn't going to be for me long-term. So a couple of things happened around 2007, 2008. A few things, actually. Number one, uh, I decided I wanted out of management consulting. Uh, number two, I was working for a year for a global, very large private equity firm. They were spinning out or carving out a medical device manufacturer from a larger company. And I spent a year with them at the same table as myself. And I thought, hey, these are the smartest people in the room. They must be doing something right. And so I decided I wanted to go back to school, get my MBA and pursue investing. It just also so happened that the bottom fell out of the market in 2008. And you know, it looked like a good time to hit pause. And so the credit crisis hits. I take pause on my career. I go back to the University of North Carolina and study at the Keenan Flagler Business School there. And I spent a lot of time reinventing myself. It was a super interesting time to go to school, to go through a real market turn like that, study the causes of it, you know, not feel pressured that I'm, I'm missing something outside of school at that moment because a lot of people were wondering 
what their next moves were uh, in the financial. But what I did is I spent time learning about alternative investing, corporate finance, venture capital investing. I actually spent time working with some local startups to get a taste of the entrepreneurial life. And then had to knock down a lot of doors to get into private markets investing. Sort of my path was non-traditional. I didn't have an investment banking background, for instance. Right. But uh, knocked on a lot of doors. And Hamlet's Lane gave me an opportunity to move to Philadelphia and help run basically a small group that they had started to analyze data and develop analytics for the private markets, which was a pretty unique concept at the time. But you know, graduating in 2010, that was my chance to kind of get into the private markets like I wanted to and potentially springboard somewhere else. But you know, things as they were, it's been nearly 11 years here at Hamilton Land. So things that have worked out here in Philadelphia and I've really set down roots and uh, started a family here. So it's funny the paths we take, but I think a lot of things came together to bring me to where I am today. That's great. And as a fellow recovering consultant, I started shivering, got a little distracted while you responded <laughs> thinking about the old hotels I had to stay in, being in Waterloo, Canada for nine months in the dead of winter saying in a, you know, obscure Bonvoy property. Exactly. Not what I they tell you at the info session. Yeah, I ate a lot of uh, chilies and Ruby Tuesdays. Nothing wrong with those. For it. A, a lot of Applewood smoked bacon. You realize it's, a, it's on every menu item. So That's actually a great point. That. So much <laughs> Applewood smoked bacon. So for our readers who are not familiar, what exactly is Hamilton Lane? What does it do? Hamilton Lane is a global leader in the private markets. And by that, I mean private transactions, closed-end funds that pursue investments in corporate buyouts, venture capital, private credit, actually you know, real estate and real assets, meaning energy investments and infrastructure investments. That's a growing part of the business too. So what Hamilton Lane does is we offer our clients, which are institutional investors, also called limited partners, we offer them investment solutions such as separate accounts. And many people might be familiar with the concept of a fund-to-fund. -fund. A separate account is like a customized fund to fund for a very specific one investor. It's like a fund of one kind of thing is one way to think about a separate account. They can take different forms, but Hamilton Lane really came up. You know, we might not have been the first one to raise a separate account, but certainly we made them very popular. You know, we raise these separate accounts and we provide that solution to limited partners. We also raise our own vehicles and we are a general partner of vehicles that pursue secondary transactions in the private markets and co-investment transactions. And we also have a lot of ancillary services that grow out of our business. We have back office performance reporting services, and now data and technology is a service line of ours. Specifically, we have a product called Cobalt LP, which is a business that I run and spend a lot of time in. So, you know, just to drop a few more stats about Hamilton Lane to, to talk about where we sit in the space, we're publicly listed today. HLNE is our ticker symbol. We have about $515 billion in assets under management and supervision. So in what we do, we are a very big player. And that gives us some advantages that feed into you know, the strategies that we're pursuing around data and technology. 17 offices around the world. And we service, when I say institutional investors, it's public and corporate pension plans, insurance plans, endowments and foundations, family offices, wealth management clients, sovereign wealth funds, you name it. So different aspects of the industry are growing pretty fast, including wealth management and retail market. And we're trying to be a player there as well. So what has been the evolution of Hamilton Lane over your tenure there and really in the industry over the last 10 years? You know, Hamilton Lane has long been an investor in ourselves, so to speak, in hiring data scientists, data engineers, investing in our capabilities around data strategy and turning that data 
into intelligence that we can use for decision making. It's long been something that we have invested in to make ourselves better, to add more transparency around our organization to the data that we collect, to add more efficiency to the way that we produce our reporting and analysis, and to democratize the use of analytics for decision making. And you know, my career at Hamilton Lane is I, I used to run our data and analytics team. It was really a service offering for the rest of the firm and for our clients to make sense of the data. Basically, hey, toss questions over the wall to the eggheads in the corner. We'll churn out some analysis and tell you what the data is saying. But over time, what we noticed is that our clients wanted more direct access to that information, right? They wanted to be using the same data and the same tools as Hamilton Lane. And so what we're seeing, and, and Cobalt LP, which we're going to get to, is a big part of that story. But what we're seeing is that the ground is shifting in this asset class. LPs today, you know, they're no longer passive investors like they were historically. This is an asset class that a lot was done historically with a handshake. It's a relationship business, right? There wasn't a whole lot of data that people had access to. So they weren't using data to drive decision-making. But we think that has fundamentally changed. And uh, hey, look across all industries. The growth of analytics, the growth of data-driven decisions is taking off everywhere. Our industry is no different. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing clients, they want access to that same information that we've been using for years. They want access to the same tools. And so our philosophy is give them what they want. And that's part of the business we've gone into with COBOL. It's also the bottom line is the world's going to divide here. There's going to be the winners and the losers, so to speak. And we think it's a must-have to have that technology stack set up, have a strategy around how you're collecting and analyzing data. And if you're not going to be doing that, I think you're going to have a fall behind your peers. You're going to underperform this asset class. And so we think about digital transformation. It's making the case for LPs to come up the curve of sophistication when it comes to technology and data. And then it's emphasizing to them that, you know, some of these tools are already available. You know, you don't need to recreate the wheel, so to speak. Hamilton Lane has some of these tools available now for LPs to directly tap into. So what do you think are maybe the top two or three biggest barriers to success for successful private equity and alternative asset funds? As you mentioned, there's so much complexity in the technology, logistical needs, reporting. What are kind of two or three that you see the most from your clients? From a limited partner perspective, there's been incredible growth in this asset class. There's growth across fund strategies. So if you look at this asset class 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it's predominantly dominated by and growth equity investment, venture capital investment in developed markets. But, you know, the saying goes, I think our vice chairman, Juan Delgado, has got a quote of, it's not even private equity anymore, it's private markets, because you look around and private credit, private real assets, the amount of opportunities in the private space has exploded, as have the opportunities across different geographies. So opportunities in emerging markets opportunities in frontier markets. LPs are diversifying uh, geographies and across all these categories. How do you manage all that with a small team? We have a lot of LPs that have three or four people managing their private markets. Some people have two people in the investment office and they think about public markets half the week and private markets the other half of the week. So good luck trying to analyze the opportunity set globally. That is a huge challenge. And let alone trying to understand what's out there and what investments to select. But how do you think about risk in this asset class, portfolio construction? This is not an industry that has a long history of academic papers and theory around some of this to rely on. I think a lot of this is sort of this new analysis that's happening. 
new tools need to be integrated. So how as an LP do you understand what's out there from an investment selection perspective and understand how you should be thinking about risk and portfolio construction in order to build an optimal portfolio? Both things, you know, we think technology and data can help with. Yeah, it reminds me of one of the quotes in your paper. You say, one thing we hear over and over from investors is that internal budgets are not expanding as fast as this ocean of choice that they have. Yeah, that's right. And so they're worried about two key workflows. You've got to understand your current portfolio. What's in the ground? How it's performing? How does it benchmark? You need to forecast out behavior under different economic scenarios to understand how capital is going to be called from your current commitments and how it's going to come back to you in the form of distributions. This asset class is very unique. You make a commitment upfront for 10 years to a fund, if not much longer, and uh, you don't know when the capital is going to be called or when it's coming back. But if you have 50 years worth of data, like we do, you might have a much better idea of what happens on average by fund strategy or what happens in a downturn versus a growthy environment. So that's a key workflow, understanding my current portfolio and how that informs where I need to be allocating that next dollar by category, right? What's more important to me? Limiting risk. Do I need to increase the liquidity and shorten the duration of my portfolio? Should I be going for, for multiple return on capital and going for the bang? So how do you allocate across these different strategies? That's the first key workflow. The second key workflow is about investment selection. So it's that first problem I talked about. Hamilton Lane sees a thousand new fundraising opportunities here. A thousand. So where is the database I can go to to understand the 1,000 managers raising capital today? And how do I take that funnel that's 1,000 big and how do I drill it down? So part of that drilling down is going to be informed on where I think I should be spending You know, from the first decision around my allocation. All right, am I interested in credit and developed markets, right? Or am I interested in infrastructure and emerging markets? That's going to be part of the funnel. But then you know, drilling down, how do you make sure that you have enough information across a peer set to understand how the GPs compare to each other. How does one GP strategy differ from another? Because if you're just relying on a pitch book from a manager, well, you're certainly getting, I guess you could say you're getting somewhat of a bias story. I mean, the story uh, shined up in a way where you might not be able to make an informed decision in the vacuum. I think you mm -hmm. do need that comparison data across opportunities. So kind of off that point, so what are LPs doing right now? You know, before we get into Cobalt, et cetera, what are the current tools at their disposal? How are they managing these problems? Today, historically, LPs have had access to you know, some data providers, and they've had access to some point solutions for specific functions and specific workflows. I think where the industry is moving is to have what I would call suite solutions, which combine databases and workflow solutions. So legacy data providers, I mean, there's some really interesting data providers out there, absolutely, that pursue strategies around you know, vacuuming up all the data they can from publicly reported records. But there are downsides to only relying on that. Certainly, it takes longer for data to flow through public records. You, you deal with some accuracy issues. New data providers like Cobalt take data from that angle but also complement it with primary sources. You know, Hamilton Lane, for instance, is seeing 16,000 investments that we track, daily cash flows, quarterly valuations, because we're in the midst of monitoring these. So we can turn that into some really valuable data for people to use. So, but, you know, you don't want just a database that you have to download into Excel and spend all your time in a spreadsheet. I think that it's controversial across multiple uh, areas of finance about whether we're ever going to move out of Excel. And certainly there are some aspects that I'm not telling you to ditch your, your Excel models. 
entirely. But I think there's a lot of inefficiency and inaccuracy that creeps into these Excel models that people are using for forecasting and benchmarking. And if we have a database in a suite solution online, and we also wrap some reporting tools and data visualizations around that to form a full suite solution like COBOL, I think that we can really empower NLP to spend more time doing the things that matter around the qualitative decision-making, right? They've got busy travel schedules. They want to meet with managers face-to-face. They need to making decisions around you know, portfolio allocation strategy. They shouldn't be spending all their time building a benchmarking model, investing model. That wheel has been created. We have it. It's powered by 50 years worth of data. You know, jump into a platform that combines data plus analytics together in one space. And I think that is, I think that's where the industry is going to go. So Griff, we've really set the stage for this growing problem for LPs and in the industry as a whole. So Hamilton Land has built something called Cobalt LP to combat this. What is Cobalt LP? How does it work? So Cobalt LP, one thing we aim to do with Cobalt LP is be one of the best and largest data integrators in this space. So we're not going to rely on just one data set. We partner with some outside data providers that provide tremendously valuable data, transparent data on managers in the marketplace. We complement that with Hamilton Lane's database. Hamilton Lane tracks over 56% of all private market capital ever raised going back nearly 50 years. And so that's also a tremendous data set to add in. And so we're going to give you keys to that data. And if you are a do-it-yourself investor that like roll up your sleeves, dig into the data sets and use them to derive information on market trends that are going to inform your strategy, you know, for the very first time, you have direct keys into that. So we're going to enable your market research. But I think where the real power comes in is when we, again, take that data and put it side by side, other data that you are uploading and tracking in the system. And so COBOL is going to accept your portfolio data. You're going to be able to track your portfolio through COBOL. And once your portfolio is in there and the market data is in there, Side-by-side benchmarking and comparisons right there. How am I doing, right? What's driving value? How do I benchmark? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's incredibly valuable. And then moving on from that, what should I add to my portfolio? We're going to show you those thousand opportunities that Hamilton Lane saw this year. Who would be interesting to add? How do these managers that are in the space add value to my portfolio? How do they compare to one another? Let me slot one in and understand the impact. And I think that really brings it full circle across the workflows from you know, market research to portfolio analytics to diligence. That's really powerful. So then one quick specific question, how are they merging their own portfolio data into yours and how frequently is it updating? Like kind of what what do the pipes look like? There's a variety of ways that people can do that. If you're a smaller organization and you're moving from uh, before onboarding Cobalt, all you had was an Excel sheet that had all of your cash flows in it. We can drag and drop that Excel sheet in, or you can do that yourself actually. And the model will read that and import those cash flows and make it available for analytics. If you're a bit bigger and maybe you have a technology stack already in place and you have a back office system of record that's in place for reporting, but you don't have the analytics suite that Cobalt does or the data that Cobalt does, we can integrate the two. We're a modern open API platform. And so we can build or your technical team can build an integration to sync the data on an ongoing basis on a frequency that makes sense to you. I think that we're finding a lot of sophisticated limited partners that are trying to do the best they can to optimize the technology stack. There is no one solution that does everything. And so as you come up with that sophistication curve, we want to play a part in that ecosystem. So how was it kind of transitioning? How was it starting up a company within 
such a massive business like Hamilton Lane? And do you think it's more of an underappreciated business model than the traditional model now of going out, bootstrapping yourself and then getting a ton of VC money? Yeah, so we sat around the table in 2016 and all credit to the leadership of Hamilton Lane. I think they're very open to innovation and trying new things. And Cobalt at the beginning was nothing more than a business plan and an experiment. And we had a decision to make at that point, which is, okay, we want to package up our data and the analytics that we run off and we want to make it available to our clients. We want to transform the way that limited partners you know, drive decision-making. Should we build it ourselves? Should we go buy it? Should we partner with somebody? We made an interesting choice. We found a really interesting company that you know I had met in a conference on the West Coast. Uh, they were actually based out of Boston. And uh, they were looking to raise capital. They had a really interesting kernel of technology. They had kind of just gotten it off the ground. But uh, it was a good match because they were raising capital. And we had balance sheet capital that we're willing to invest in them and a strategy that we wanted to pursue. And they, we saw eye to eye on that strategy. And essentially, they started as the outsourced development engine for COBOL. And we were going to own the vision of it, the sales, the service, marketing around it. And that's how we got COBOL off the ground very quickly, all things considered. Right? We were ready to launch in less than a year, thanks to the team that we partnered with. Now, over time, COBOL became incredibly strategic to Hamilton Lane, and we wanted a lot more control over how we built it out. And so we made the decision to buy out our partner and bring it in-house. Again, another transaction that worked out for both parties. Our partner still exists, and their brand name is Cobalt Software, and they develop a product called Cobalt GP, and we're offering Cobalt LP to the marketplace. That's general partners and limited partners. And so it's really a sister brand where they have technology that is focused on the general partner marketplace to track portfolio companies and data around the operating metrics of the deals and reporting out to LPs. And we have a, a platform that is specifically focused on the needs of the LPs to drive portfolio allocation and investment selection decision-making. And our brands are going to work together longer term, potentially with the ability to pass data between platforms. So that's the story of how we started it. But you know, maybe more to the heart of your question, how do you do something like that in a larger organization? Well, you're inevitably going to fight some people that are confused by why you're doing something like this, that are going to use the word cannibalization or right. wonder, you know, are we a technology company? That doesn't really seem to be in our culture. But I think that as an entrepreneurial endeavor, my job was to try to rack up some small wins, show people that this worked, show people that it could add a ton of value to our business at large and not just as an isolated business line. Look, the technology that we're selling through Cobalt is never going to wag the dog here. I mean, it's a smaller business line in comparison to the assets that we manage, the $500 billion plus that we manage around the world. But I think that you know the real vision here is that COBOL is an integrated part of what Hamilton Lane offers. It's a technology is an integrated part of our services across all of our service lines. And so over time, you get one supporter after another to kind of buy in, and then it develops its own momentum, and then, and then you're on the flywheel with it. As a lot of people see how it's helping us win business around the world, not just as an isolated technology offering. And so moving on to kind of a different topic, the thing on everybody's mind, of course, has been COVID. One piece of your business that's pretty interesting, can you discuss the idea of consistent commitment placing and how it's played out during COVID? This is actually a big aspect of COBOL that we haven't talked about. There's a model in here within COBOL that helps LPs uh, forecast out cash flows and plan for future commitments. It's a very unique problem to the private markets, where as an investor, you invest in 
10, 30 funds, 300 funds, whatever it is in your portfolio. And as soon as you get a great portfolio built, well, it starts liquidating. And it's a constant, constant workflow to continue to identify that next investment because you're getting capital back as companies are liquidated within the funds that you're invested in. Now you have some dry powder to invest in it and you need to go find new funds to replace the ones that have now liquidated, whether it's reopening with the same managers or adding new managers to your portfolio. And so it's very difficult for a limited partner that does not have historic data to understand the average patterns of liquidity in this asset class. If I commit to a distressed debt private credit fund, how does that behave differently than a emerging market infrastructure fund? Very different profiles in terms of way that the assets develop, liquidate and harvest. So we have that data to help them inform that. But even more valuable, I think, is to understand how these different strategies behave in different economic markets. Because let's talk about March and April of 2020. We were on the phone with client after client, modeling out what might happen in their portfolio with the drop in the public market. So what happens here is the public markets drop and private market valuations are not in yet. They actually lag quite a bit, right? It's it's June 30 before you know what the March 31 private market valuations are. That's that's how reporting works in this asset class. Right. So a lot of clients are, you know, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to valuations? And they're worried about a lot of things, right? Based on all of their other investments, maybe liquidity is drying up. Am I going to have enough capital to contribute to my private equity funds if they're still doing deals? Right? Am I going to get back the capital I need from them in order to meet my obligations to my beneficiaries? And so we've got data to help them analyze that. We've also got data to help them solve for a plan. And they're not just worried about near-term liquidity, but they're worried about how much do I commit this year or next year after that in order to maintain my desired exposure to the obstacles. And how does something like a recession affect that plan? Again, we've got the data to forecast it. We've got the solving mechanisms to solve for that. The idea of consistent commitment-facing is an important one. Because what we saw, just to give you an example, during the credit crisis, right? A lot of LPs were guilty of chasing the market when things were hot, over-committing to a lot of funds. It's sort of maybe natural human behavior. And then... The bottom drops out of the market, so much uncertainty creeps in, and it's really hard not to do this, but they turned off the spigot of commitments. And what they ended up doing is they ended up missing out on some of the highest performing vintage years of private markets. So they, they did not commit to that manager in 2008 or 2009. And that turns out to be that manager's best performing fund because there's right. a lot of opportunities that exist if you have the stomach for them in a down market like that. And so what our research has found is that being very methodical in how you strategize out your commitment base, trying not to chase the ups and not to turn off the commitment basing in the down markets, you know, having a consistent commitment base, that's the way to improve your portfolio performance long-term. And our product helps you know, solve for all that. There's a lot of complicated mathematics and all that. We've got the models to help you think through. Yeah. So I think kind of the final section of the podcast here. So in addition to COBOL, Griff also is the head of strategic technology investments for the firm. So I do want to dig into this experience just a little bit. What is your current kind of investment mandate and what companies and pain points are you, are you trying to solve for your team? Absolutely. And to be fair, there's a lot of people at Hamilton Lane that are involved in <laughs> analyzing you know, our strategic technology investments. Happened to lead a couple here recently for us. Hamilton Lane has a strategy here, and we believe in the digital transformation of the asset class. That, that's point one. We believe that you must, as an industry, invest in digital transformation. For us, 
you know, we're not trying to set up a VC fund off our balance sheet here. What we're doing is we're meeting with entrepreneurs, interesting technology teams that are driving innovation in the assessment class. And what we're asking ourselves is, can we use this? Can our clients use it? You know, do we believe in this? And can we contribute some way in the development of this technology? Whether that's as an investor, certainly our capital could be useful. Whether that's as a early user of the product. Oftentimes, what we like is situations where we can have some significant influence in how the product is built out. We've taken board seats and we've been major clients and investors, and that would allow us to have a voice in you know, feature development and prioritization. And what we're doing is we're using our voice to make this industry more transparent, more efficient, and give our clients better tools to interact with this industry. So you're sitting at this kind of hybrid entrepreneur role, but also plugged into the private market space. So what are you using to source investments? You don't exactly have the army of VC associates cold calling people. And the conferences that we had talked about when we were chatting earlier aren't really hitting the same over Zoom. Yeah, the conference story is funny. I I dropped my business card in a fishbowl and I won, quote unquote, a free trial. I'm pretty sure they just (laughs) they purposefully pulled my name out of there. Right. Uh, to, to give us a free trailer. So that was how I got introduced to that company. So so congratulations on them for that strategy. But uh, you know, at this point, we, we've got a good network here. And we've been doing this for a while. So some senior members of Hamilton Lane were responsible for an investment in a company called iLevel about eight years ago, which really was a transformational product for back office reporting in this industry. And, and a lot of our investments have grown out of that original experience. We've gotten to know a lot of the common investors and entrepreneurs. It's still a very tight-knit industry. And so some of the companies that we've invested in, there are common people at play, whether they're, they were once operators, now they're investors, or that have come in to the leadership team temporarily as strategic investors and then left. And uh, we get introduced to a lot of companies that way. And a lot of people seek us out because they know that we've been able to use our influence for good for them. In other words, have a customer, we can be a good point of reference. And Our voice, I think, has been valuable how some of these groups have have adapted their business model and gone on to have success in our industry. So fortunately now, we get a lot of inbound and we try to meet with anything that looks interesting. We certainly typically are interested in companies that they're not pre-revenue. They've got, we want them to have clients. We want them to have a product that we can touch and feel and want to introduce that product to people that we know and trust, including our internal teams or clients, have them. Uh, give us an opinion on what they think about it. And if this product looks like it's really going to solve a problem for us or our clients, that's the first hurdle we have to cross. Then after that, it's about the team, the prospects of the business. Of course, those are important if we're going to put money behind this. We're a publicly traded firm. We're trying to be, of course, very smart with how we're deploying capital. Is this a team, an operational team, a leadership team that we can get behind that we want to be in business with? And uh, it's a long-term partnership here. We're not looking to make these investments and exit them in a short time frame. This is something that we're interested in living with for a long time. And so can we really look at this as a long-term partnership to drive change? Great. So in closing, Griff, if some founders on, that listen to this podcast want to get in touch with you and potentially you know, learn about how there can be some sort of relationship between Cobalt and their company, how should they get in touch? You can get in touch with me directly. We also have a culture at Hamilton Lane where... We believe in ideas being generated from any employee. So oftentimes I'm hearing about 
new teams, new technologies from other Hamilton Lane employees that are chasing that next innovation and trying to bubble it up to the leadership of the firm. And so really, it it's, doesn't have to be me. You can reach out to anyone at Hamilton Lane on that you have a great connection with that you believe would have the ability to articulate your value prop and bring it out to the leadership team. And that's how we certainly get a lot of ideas. We're always interested in an initial screening, an initial look at a product and, and more information. That was a very politically safe answer. <laughs> <laughs> well done. But yeah, I think that's a great place to end. That was a lot of great information, Griff. I want to thank you for coming on today's episode of the Warren FinTech Podcast. Excited to get this out to our listeners. Great, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review. And if you're looking for more FinTech content, subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Medium at Wharton FinTech. There you will find articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I've linked our accounts in the episode description. I would also like to thank our editor, Rafael Ostria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Ryan Zauk.